each person has to grapple with this question. Did God create man? Or, only other option, did man create God? Was man made in the image of God? Or, only other option, was God made in the imagination of men? If we were created, we're accountable before our Creator. If we evolved, then we're still evolving. And marriage is still evolving. And gender still evolving. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Each and every day, we're influenced by messages that bombard us. Whether from music, Hollywood, news media, or Washington, the messages we hear impact the way we think and even attempt to shape our worldview. Never has biblical authority been more needed than now. With a message called The Matter of Orientation, we'll hear from Pastor Trent on what God says on the topic of gender, sexual orientation, and marriage. Here's Pastor Trent. You're turning in your Bibles right now to two different places. First of all, find Romans chapter 1. And once you find that, have you discovered that there's usually a ribbon in your Bible? Have you ever wondered what that was for? It was for the moment when the pastor wanted to preach from two different passages of Scripture. Put the ribbon in Romans chapter 1, and then go back to the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. I'll meet you there in just a moment. We've been marching verse by verse through the book of Matthew, and we got to Matthew chapter 19. We hit the brakes, and we slowed way down because Jesus started talking about something that is so relevant to where we're at in our culture today. He started talking about marriage and divorce. And so we're in week seven of our series called Marriage Matters. We've talked about uh, getting the answer right to the question why before we try to answer the question how do we do marriage. And so we discovered that. We talked about the matter of children. We talked about the matter of the hurt. We've talked about the matter of the heart. We've talked about divorce and remarriage. We've talked about the matter of moral purity last week, that which is a powerful tool to break apart a marriage. And today we're going to talk about the matter of orientation. A lot of talk in our culture about sexual orientation, and I want you to understand biblically what the Bible says about sexual orientation. For for many of us as Christians, we, we find it very hard to live in a culture that calls what God calls evil, the culture calls good. And it's very hard sometimes to know how to navigate the balance between being courageous and having compassion in the culture. I grew up in a, in a time when the word tolerance meant that um, everyone had a right to their own opinion. Today, the word tolerance means everyone's opinion is right, even if it contradicts every other opinion, which doesn't make any sense, but, but that's what we're told, that in order to practice tolerance, we have to accept every opinion as right. And so uh, we, as Christians, we don't really know how to navigate this, and sometimes we misstep, and, and sometimes in an attempt to be courageous and stand for truth, we just come across mean, and, and that's, that's tough to do, and, and we get labeled, you know, intolerant and hateful and bigoted, and, and, and if you address this topic, you're immediately labeled as a homophobe. What we're doing is we're just being consistent with what our worldviews are, but sometimes we don't get it all right in the way we communicate it. Some of you here today actually struggle or maybe even openly accept 
the lifestyle that we're going to be looking at uh, in the Scripture that God condemns. And I want to kind of give you a bridge back to truth. If we're going to accept that there is absolute truth given by a God who is transcendent, He's above us, He's not human, He hands down truth and says, this is the way I want my creation creation to live, then um, we, we need to be right with Him. And so uh, today I want to kind of unpack all that, hopefully in a very loving way. So the goal of today, say it in a sentence, is this. Choosing to embrace the distinct sexual identity God has assigned to men and women demonstrates faith in a masterful creator. So we're going to talk about this subject of orientation. Let's just understand that in our culture, we've got to get a deeper understanding of how we relate in a culture that is not a theocracy, but we are citizens of two kingdoms. We've been learning in the book of Matthew that we're citizens of the kingdom of of God, if you by faith have embraced Jesus as Savior, you're citizens of the kingdom of God, but at the same time, you're a citizen of a civil government, and that civil government at times is not going to be favorable toward our opinion. So let's try to navigate this. Here's the first point of the message, and we'll dive into the scripture. The, po- the point is this sexual identity is designed by God. I want you to look here in Genesis chapter 1. Before we read it, I want to ask you the question. Do you believe that what you read in the book of Genesis is a literal, accurate, historical account of things and people that actually happened? If you don't believe that, if you think, well, this is allegory, and it's like there was kind of some kind of an allegorical Adam and an allegorical Eve, and there was allegorical sin, and there was an allegorical serpent, and all of that. Do you understand this? Um, Jesus believed they were actual, literal, historical people and events. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to follow what he thinks about his book that he wrote. You see, each person has to grapple with this question. Did God create man or, only other option, did man create God? Was man made in the image of God or, only other option, was God made in the imagination of men? If we were created, we're accountable before our Creator. If we evolved, then we're still evolving. And marriage is still evolving. And gender is still evolving. But if you believe what we're about to read is a literal, accurate, historical account of what happened, then we're accountable for what we read. So with that said, let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Now the reason we're in Genesis 1 is because these were the verses that Jesus quoted in Matthew 19 in responding to the Pharisees about the questions about marriage and divorce. And Jesus quoted Verse 27, which says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, notice, male and female. Interesting, isn't it? God could have distinguished them any other way he wanted to. He could have said, he created man right-handed and left-handed. He created man blonde and brunette. He created man um, tall and short. But those things didn't matter. What mattered 
were the two categories that he puts on them, and he says he created them male and female, distinguishable, not interchangeable, distinguishable, with distinct characteristics of maleness and femaleness. Why did he do that? Verse 28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. You see, in order to obey verse 28, there had to be verse 27. In order to multiply, there has to be a person with an XX chromosome and a person with an XY chromosome, and they get together and they create little XXs and little XYs. And those little XXs and XYs are designed to grow up under big XXs and XYs operating together within a holy, permanent, intimate, durable relationship called marriage. That's the way that God designed it. Neither a man nor a woman can reproduce without the other. I know that this is so mind-blowing. You've never heard any of this before. But it's Bible. Where did we learn all this? We learn it from the Bible. God designed a man to need a woman and a woman to need a man to reproduce other little men and women. Now, Flip one chapter over to chapter 2 and look at verse 24. We've looked at this verse every week. It's what Jesus again quoted in Matthew 19. But he says this, Therefore, the man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you see the four references to gender in that verse? He does not say... Therefore, a person shall leave his parents and hold fast to another person, and they shall become one. You can't become one without two genders. So God's design is for the little man to become a big man while he's growing up under the influence of a big man called a father and a big woman called a mother, and their influence together make him whole in the environment that God wanted him to grow up under. So very important that we understand the differences between male and female. All right, now I want everybody to write this down. Very important point. I just don't want you to miss this at all, okay? Those of you asleep, very important point. Write this down. Men and women are different. Okay? Now listen, they are equal, but they are not the same. They have equal value, they bear the equal image of God, they have equal worth, but they are not the same. Even physiological differences, we know that women are far more, they have far more vitality than men. Women outlive men three to four years. Men have a higher rate of metabolism. During metabolism, girls convert more energy into fat. Isn't that a depressing statement? Girls convert more energy into fat, while boys convert more energy into muscle. At age 18, girls have nearly twice the body fat of boys. Like, you're supposed to encourage me when I come to church. This is not good news. <laughs> Ladies, just wait. He'll eat his way to catch up to you, and in, by the time he's 40, you, he'll, nobody will even notice, okay? It, it, they'll notice him, not you. Now, here's another thing. Men have 15 times more testosterone flowing through their bodies than women. 
how, where did they, did they choose that? Where did they get, they go to Walmart and buy that? I don't think you can do that yet, but it's, it's like, God put stuff in there more than he put in the, the female. In the female, women have eight to 10 times more estrogen than men, depending on the time of the month. Eight to 10 times, you just never quite know because it goes like this, doesn't it, ladies? So that's a good thing. Women have, get this, women have larger stomachs. Like you're looking at your husband like, I don't think so. I mean, have you seen that? It's, it's not true. It is. Women have larger stomach, larger kidneys, and larger livers, but they have smaller lung capacity. Men are physically 50% stronger than women. Now, all of these are general categories. Obviously, there are women that could whip another man. I've seen some of the men in here, and you don't have a chance. But anyway, these are general categories, okay? This is just the way that God has made us. We, we're made different. And, and if you even deny all that, please understand, at the very core, men and women are different in every single cell of their bodies because they carry different chromosomal patterns. This is something God did male and female, and it was good. Now, what we see in general revelation when we observe creation is declared for us in special revelation when we look into God's Word and He confirms by what He says what He did. All the way over in um, the New Testament. You know, we find we find this incredible verse that says this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it tells men to act like men. Isn't that awesome? God tells a man to act like a man. Why did he do that? Because men have a tendency to act like boys. Have you noticed it? Men have a tendency to act like animals at times. Men sometimes have a tendency to act like a girl. So God says... Act like a man. Here's what he says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. You can tell that verse was written to a man, can't you? Two word phrases, right? Stand firm. Be strong. I mean, it's just bam in your face. It's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. Understand what it, that's what it means to act like a man. So a man at his best, if you fulfilled that verse as a man, you know what a man would look like at his best? He would be strong, thoughtful. He would be a leader. He would thrive under pressure. He's responsible, goal-oriented, fun, loving, calm, wise, practical, teachable, humble, romantic, frugal, consistent, trustworthy, persistent, loyal, discerning, and tender. Some of you ladies are like, man, where do you get one of those? <laughs> wow, that's, that's what, I've never seen one of those. That's, that's incredible. That's true. Sometimes men don't act their best. They act like men, but they look more like this. Unemotional, silent, lazy, crude, self-consumed, busy, stubborn, angry, harsh, intimidating, cruel, lustful, defensive, proud, boring, indulgent, stingy, messy, directionless, drunk, undisciplined, unconcerned and soft. Has that been your experience with a man? Ladies, if you're looking at that, it's like, yeah, that's men. One's on, no, that's men at their worst. God didn't create them like that. He created a male and says, act like a man. Now, if your experience as a woman has been with the guys on the right, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you wouldn't want to have any kind of relationship with a man. Now, God tells women what they should be like too. 
in the, again in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Let your adorning, women, be the hidden person of the heart. You know what God's saying? There's nothing you could ever buy at the mall that would make you look or act like a woman. It's what's on the inside that makes you look and act like a woman because there you find an imperishable beauty. It never wrinkles. It never fades. It's beautiful. And what is it? It's a gentle and a quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. It's valuable. It's a treasure. So if women were to walk that out, what would they look like? Here's women at their best. Gentle, quiet-spirited, compassionate, empathetic, warm, tender, hospitable, nurturing, polite, supportive, intuitive, perceptive, sensitive, trusting, graceful, expressive, charming, pure, and responsive. And the guys are like, where is she? I'm signing up for that program. Where, where do you get? Now, somebody, I just described your mother, right? It's like, yeah, that's mom or that's grandma. You know, it's like, they don't, they don't make them like that anymore. But, you know, my mom's like, that's right. Those moms, they need to make more of them like, like, like them. And that's women at their best. However, when women are not at their best, they look more like this. Weak, passive, weepy, seductive, flirtatious, frantic. Irrational, loud, naive, moody, petty, prudish, manipulative, complaining, nagging, smothering, spiteful, gossiping, controlling, and contentious. Yuck. It's like, ugh, stay away from one of those. Now, guys, if your experience with women has been with the women on the right and your mother was the one on the right, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you want to stay away from those. That's not the way that God made them. God made them to be at their best, and he tells them, here's what's very precious in my sight, women at their best. So your experience can begin to stamp your impression of a sexual identity, but please understand that God made sexual identity and assigns sexual identity to those who are male and female. Speaking of male and female as it relates to mothers and fathers, I read an article this week by uh, Eric Metaxas, who is the, uh, uh, I think he's the president of the Colson Institute. And uh, he, he wrote an article quoting uh, a man named Robert Oscar Lopez, who's a professor at California State University, Northridge. And in this article, uh, he says this, Contrary to what gay lobby claims... Lopez writes, children raised by same-sex parents deeply feel the loss of a mother and a father no matter how much we love our gay parents. How would Lopez know that? He was raised by two lesbian mothers. And he advocates that children need both a mother and a father. He says this, these children know they are powerless to stop the decision to deprive them of a father or a mother. And this decision comes with serious and often permanent consequences. For instance, they feel disconnected from the gender cues of people around them and long for a role model of the opposite sex. While they love the people who raised them, they experience anger at their decision to deprive them of one or both biological parents and shame or guilt for resenting their loving parents. 
The so-called consensus by psychologists and pediatricians on the soundness of same-sex parenting is, Lopez writes, frankly, bogus. The truth is there is no data to support the soundness of same-sex parenting. Instead, as political scientist Leon Cass of the University of Chicago and Harvey Manson of Harvard University note, claims that science provides support for constitutionalizing the right to same-sex marriage must rest necessarily on ideology, and ideology is not science. By contrast, we have a great deal of research proving that the best possible home for children is one led by a married father and mother. Two fathers and two mothers cannot begin to compare because, the, as Professor David Papineau of Rutgers University explains, the two sexes are different to the core, and each is necessary culturally, biologically, and I would add spiritually, for the optimal development of a human being. So the demand for same-sex marriage is the product of a selfish culture that refuses to limit its sexual passions in a way for the good of the next generation. Today's adults are the product of a previous generation that cast off marriage as a permanent union in favor of selfish interests leaving our children to deal with the consequences. And is it any wonder that the generation that embraced no-fault divorce has produced the generation that wants same-sex marriage? What's happening? We're exchanging what God said as a designer creator for what we are and what we want as His creation. Here's the second point. Same-sex orientation is part of our disorientation away from God. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Now, we know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit. And as soon as they did, they began to experience something God never designed them to experience. Look at it, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. He says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. Up until that point, they had no idea. Verse 25 of chapter 2 says they were naked and not ashamed. Now, all of a sudden, the only thing that's changed is they have sinned against God and they were experiencing guilt. It says they did something to try to deal with their guilt. End of verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Can you imagine Eve out there with a needle taking a few leaves off of the trees and trying to sew them together to cover body parts? God showed up later and said, it's not covering enough. And he went and killed an animal and brought the skin of the animal to cover her more completely. And so we understand that they were experiencing something they'd never experienced before. Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife did something they'd never done before. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Before when God showed up, they ran to Him. Now that they had sinned, they ran away from Him. What had happened? Their orientation toward God 
had changed. People ask all the time, is homosexuality something you are born with? Are people born that way? Now, I'm not going to pretend to answer all, and know all the answers to that question, but I will say this. Every person here, whether you are heterosexual or homosexual in your orientation, is born with an orientation toward sin and away from God. That orientation is our brokenness. It's our fallenness. God didn't create us that way. He created us with an orientation toward Him. But when our great-grandparents sinned, now our orientation is away from God. It makes me a magnet toward sin, and it makes me allergic to God. How does your brokenness work itself out in sexual sin in your life, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual? It's kind of irrelevant whether or not you're born that way. You're just born disoriented away from God. And it works itself out in a thousand different ways, heterosexually and homosexuality. But we all have a choice. And being born with a disposition towards sin is never an excuse to pursue your orientation into sinful activity. Some people are born, I believe, with a sinful disposition to be angry all the time. They're just mad. But we tell them, you're not allowed to beat your kids. You're not allowed to beat your wife. You're not allowed to start fights on the playground. Control yourself. Put you in a little anger management class, okay? We'll help you have a little therapy there. Some people, I believe, are born with an orientation to be uh, alcoholics. What do we tell them? Stay out of the bar, Right? No, you can't even drink a beer because we know you're going to abuse it. We, we tell people to limit themselves and regulate themselves. And if they can't regulate themselves, we help them regulate, right? It may surprise you. I, I have a sinful orientation toward women. I'm watching a football game. Cheerleaders pop up on the screen. You know what my orientation is? Feast my eyes on that. But you would tell me, Trent, you're the pastor of a church. Control yourself. You're sick. It's like, yeah, I am. And God has provided for you a wife. Let the, the provision that God's provided be uh, what you limit yourself to. You see, just because you say, I've got an orientation or I want to do something does not excuse what you do to follow it in. Same-sex orientation is part of the brokenness and the fallenness of all of us. And so we need to understand if we don't regulate, if we don't limit our freedoms, we will spiral into more and more sin. Well, I'm so thankful that God's Word defines and celebrates the differences between male and female. In spite of today's culture of gender confusion, believers can stand strong on the matter of sexual orientation. Well, I hope you'll join us again next week for the conclusion of Pastor Trent Griffith's helpful message. Are you a Resonate listener looking for a church in Elkhart County that unapologetically and boldly proclaims the Word of God? 
If so, you can find out more about a core group of people seeking the Lord's direction for an extension campus of Harvest Bible Chapel in Elkhart County. Email us at resonate at harvestgranger.org for more information. We also invite you to join us for a weekend worship service on one of our two campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. For service times and campus locations, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for being with us today. And I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.